Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. We've got a few social media announcements today. Uh, First off, we are in the midst of a new contest happening on Instagram. It is a very appropriate theme uh, for this episode. This month, all November, we are talking fairy tales. So you can post artwork, um, your collection of fairy tale inspired books, maybe a cosplay, anything at all that is related to fairy tales, then tag us and you will be entered to win a free book, either one of mine or from any previous podcast guest, your choice. Full details can be found on our Instagram page at Happy Writer Podcast. Also, don't forget that we are in the midst of National Novel Writing Month, and all this month we are hosting one-hour ride-alongs. I've got a fabulous roster of previous guests joining me to get some writing done and do a bunch of writing sprints. Uh, So you can see the full schedule of those. Uh, again, on our Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast, and they've been a lot of fun so far. I really hope that you will come join us. So what is making me happy this week? Of course, you know that Gilded is now out in the world, and I am thrilled about that. Uh, you guys also know that I am a believer in finding ways to celebrate these milestones and accomplishments. So I was thinking about it and thinking, okay, how am I going to celebrate this new book being out? And I decided to plan a me day this week. I have booked a massage and then I'm going to go for a nice walk on the waterfront uh, and then stop in at one of my favorite cafes, maybe get some writing done. Maybe I'll just sit and read a book for a few hours. I don't know yet. We'll see how I'm feeling. Either way, it sounds like an absolute treat. And I am so looking forward to my my day off from all of the other pesky things with life. Um, And that is how I'm going to be celebrating the launch of Gilded. Of course, I am super happy to be talking to today's guest. She is the New York Times bestselling author of a number of books for readers of all ages, including The Waterfire Saga, The Tea Rose Saga, A Northern Light, Beauty and the Beast, Lost in a Book, and two of my all-time favorite fairy tale retellings, Stepsister and Poisoned. Please welcome Jennifer Donnelly. Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to be talking to you about Gilded and all things fairy tales. Thank you. I am also super excited. Um, Listeners, Jennifer has graciously agreed to join me for today's episode. We're, of course, going to be talking about her amazing retellings, um, but we're also going to use this opportunity to talk more about Gilded, which I know I've been like so hush-hush about because you don't want to spoil anything before the book actually comes out. So I'm, I'm just like so excited to have you. You're the perfect, like my dream fairy tale conversation partner. So I was just thrilled when you agreed to do this with me. Oh, well, thank you. And huge, huge congratulations on Gilded. It is such a beautiful book. I just, I love everything about it. I love the cover. I love the whole package. Of course, most of all, I love the story. I haven't finished yet. So no spoilers, anybody. Okay. (laughs) It is amazing. And it's a world that I just so look forward to getting back into every single night. It's just it's entrancing. It's wonderful. I'm just brava, Marissa. It's amazing. 
Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I am thrilled to hear that you're enjoying it. Um, and I'm, you know how it is. You're just so excited when something is finally out in the world mm-hmm. and you can like experience the joy of like, here, I worked on this thing. I made this thing. It is now yours yeah. <laughs> Do with it as you please. I, I, I have that feeling too, but sometimes, do you ever feel sometimes that you're like, wait, I was only kidding. Give it back. Oh gosh. <laughs> yes. No, yes. <laughs> it is. It's so funny. And I usually, by the time the book actually is out in the world, I've kind of for had been forced to get over that. But yeah. when it's like transferring from me to my editor and it goes off to copy edits and proofreading mm-hmm. and they start telling you like, you have to stop making changes, Marissa, you have to stop now. And it's like, no, I, I can't know. Stop. I know that feeling. And it's like, you know, a a child going out into the world or going to kindergarten or something. And I I get kind of clutchy about it. It's it's, it's really mixed feeling of I'm so excited and I'm so worried and I'm so terrified, but I'm so happy. And I know a big ball of emotion. Yeah, it truly is just the weirdest mix of of exciting but terrifying at the same time um, but but more exciting I don't know at this point now that it's been out for um, about a week as of this recording and feedback has been really great so far I've just heard so many wonderful things from readers and so you start to like your shoulders start to come down mm-hmm. and your heart rate starts to relax and you're like okay it's all gonna be okay <laughs> It um, definitely is. In in this case, it's definitely going to be okay. Like I said, it's a, it's a wonderful book. Oh, thank you. Um, so Jennifer, before we launch into talking about our respective books and fairy tales, um, the first thing, thing I like to ask every guest that we have is, what is your author origin story? What got you into this job? What got me into this job? Wow. I would say um, the first thing that got me into this job was my mom. Um, She is German. She's an amazing storyteller. She told me all, you know, not just fairy tales and Grimm's fairy tales, but stories about her life. She, as I mentioned, was German and she grew up in Germany as a young child during the Second World War. So like when a lot of my friends might've been settling down for the night with stories, you know, about Snow White or Cinderella, I would often get, you know, this first person of count of what her life was like during a war and what it felt like to be, you know, seven or eight years old and, and hearing the sirens go off overhead at night and literally running for your life from your house into a bomb shelter and to come out, you know, hours later when the bombers had gone over and, and find out that your house and everything in it had burned to the ground. You know, she told me stories about her friend. She had a little friend, um, Herbert, who had cerebral palsy and what it was like to sort of, they kind of put him in a wheelbarrow and take him to play wherever they were playing. And what it was like to see his mother suddenly come running down the street in a panic and grab her son and, you know, pick him up and run him into the house and hide him in the closet because she had heard the Nazi health inspectors Mm. were coming to town and she didn't want her child to be taken away. So I think what was happening, you know, I wasn't sort of, you know, some of these stories might people think might think it's too much for a young child, but I didn't feel that way. I was just rooted to every word she was saying, and I was so interested and so wrapped. And I would say, you know, what did you do next, mom? And how did you feel and what happened? And I think what was happening is my mother was at the same time making 
a storyteller and a historian out of me. Um, I've always been fascinated by history. Most of my work, even the fantasy is informed by history. And I'm, I'm really interested in how those giant, you know, forces of history work on us and how they, they shape us and change us, maybe doom us and, you know, hopefully save us. So that's Mm. an extremely long winded answer to your question, Marissa, but it did all start with my, my storyteller mother. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, just to hear those stories and know that they're coming from that first person account. Exactly. Yeah. Just mind boggling. How, How did it start for you? Um, not quite as exciting. I feel like my story pales in comparison to your story. Um, but I, I was, I was fascinated by fairy tales. Um, I, you know, grew up with Disney as so many of us do. And at some point my grandma gave me a little book of fairy tales. And I remember at the time I was completely in love with, um, Disney's The Little Mermaid was my favorite movie. Mm -hmm. And then I read The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen and was horrified and like so annoyed kind of like both at Disney for like you've you've changed everything. This isn't the same story at all. Um, but but also kind of annoyed at Hans Christian Andersen. Like, how dare you? <laughs> this is a terrible story. What were you thinking? Um, but that just kind of launched this uh, curiosity. I wanted to know about these other stories and felt like I couldn't rely on Disney to give me the truth mm-hmm. of it anymore. And so I just started reading, you know, the Grimm stories. And then that eventually kind of branched out into wanting to read folk tales from other cultures and around the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just kind of been something that's followed me my whole life. That's fascinating. And I think it's it's funny because Grimm's was was a part, like I would say that was kind of part two of my formation is, again, sort of getting those Disney tales. My grandmother used to read them to me and then loving fairy tales, going to my little local library one Saturday and the librarian knew that I loved fairy tales. So she said, Jennifer, have you ever read the Grimm's collection? And I hadn't. And she put the book in my hands and it changed everything. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was, they did not pull any punches. It was violent. It was bloody. And again, some, some folks might feel that that's too much for a young child, but I didn't feel that way at all. I, I felt a sense of overwhelming relief. Like finally someone was giving it to me straight. Yeah. And they were saying, you know, all the stuff I sensed, yes, the world can be a dangerous place. Yes. They're dangerous characters in it. There are wolves and witches and, and monsters in the woods. But they're, you know, the, the beauty about the Grimm's and these tales they collected is they're telling children and you can beat them. You can beat every single one of them. Hansel yeah. and Gretel did. Little Red Riding Hood did. And I think ultimately it is just so incredibly empowering for a child to read that. No, definitely. And I feel like just in general, a lot of times in our, you know, modern Disney-esque culture society, we just don't give kids enough credit all the time. Um, and we don't we don't realize that they are paying attention to so much more than we think. And they understand so much more than we maybe are comfortable with Mm -hmm. wanting them to understand or thinking that they're understand, but they are, they are paying attention and they are listening. And if you try to sugarcoat everything and pretend like there isn't evil in the world, there aren't bad things happening, they can see right through that. And I think it it does a, a disservice to them. I, I couldn't agree more. I totally, totally agree with that. I, I remember being that kid, like being 
um, growing up sort of being a little kid in the 70s. And, you know, you, your parents are watching the news at night and I was kind of lying on the floor doing my coloring books and hearing all this stuff like Nixon, Vietnam, you know, Attica, Watergate, and not really understanding any of it, but knowing that it was all really dire and kind of trying to ask my parents, but, you know, parents are either being protective or they're tired or they're distracted and they don't explain it to you. And you kind of have to live with it on your own as a kid. Mm-hmm. And again, having that sort of, you know, old wife or, or brother Grimm say to you, yeah, everything you're feeling is legit. You know, the world is tough. The world is dark and, and you've got to find your way through it, but you can, you can definitely do that. Yeah, definitely. That's a perfect seg into talking about um, both Gilded and your books. Cause I would say that as fairy tale retellings go, we have both leaned into some of the darker mm-hmm. sides of things. Yep. Um, but for readers who may not be familiar uh, with your books, could you please tell them a little bit about Stepsister and Poisoned? Sure. Um, Stepsister looks at, it, it continues on from the Cinderella tale, and it looks at what happened to the two ugly stepsisters. You know, when I was little, I, um, as I mentioned, my, gran- my grandmother read me Cinderella, and I loved it. And I loved Cinderella because she was so good and kind, and she you know, was always herself. She never changed who she was, no matter how hard um, her life became. And I admired that, but I couldn't relate to it. You know, at five or six, I wasn't Cinderella. I was the ugly stepsisters. I didn't want to do my chores and I wanted to sleep in and, you know, a little bit mouthy and a selfish kid as, as kids are when they're five and six. So I was really fascinated by those two and always wanted to know what happened to them. And, you know, why were they ugly and who decides who's Mm -hmm. ugly and who's pretty? And were they ugly because they had, you know, crazy hair, like the illustrations in my book and big feet and kind of a big nose because I had those things. Did that make me ugly? Mm -hmm. So when I got a little bit older, you know, and sort of um, watched my preteen teen daughter grow up and, and navigate these same questions, I thought, you know, it's time to check in with those two ugly stepsisters and find out what happened to them and and really dig into the whole meaning of beauty. Who gets to control that meaning? Who gets to ask those questions? Who gets to decide who's beautiful and who's not? And why do we let them? Why do we hand over that power? Mm-hmm. So that's what I was really trying to delve into in Stepsister and in Poison, again, came from this childhood fascination. You know, I wanted to know yeah, it kind of wasn't the queen that scared me so much. And it wasn't the apple or the witch or any of that, or the big, you know, scary woods that Snow White ran through. It was that mirror and that disembodied eerie voice in the mirror, you know, telling the queen pretty much everything she wasn't, you know, someone's better than you, someone's more beautiful than you. And I wanted to know what or who that voice was. So not to give too much away, but writing poisoned, I answer that question, at least for Mm -hmm. myself. Yes. No. And I, I love it. I love the way that you take the grim stories and you take those parts that Disney glossed over or maybe Mm -hmm. cut out entirely. And you, you embrace that. Um, because I do think that so much of the power of the stories comes from those things. Um, and I just know, I I remember reading stepsister and you know, in the Cinderella story, in the grim version, there's the the awful moment where the stepsisters chop off their own toes and heels. Yes. And so many kids don't know that part of the mm-hmm. story. Um, I love to tell the story of Cinderella when I do school visits because you get to that part and their faces are just like, what? <laughs> 
Um, and that's like the opening scene from your book. Like we are yes. here. It is happening. <laughs> it is happening. And it's, it's such, it's the crux of the story to me. It is such an overwhelming symbol of what's going on. These two young women are literally cutting away pieces of themselves to fit an ideal, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be something that society determines you should be dainty, you know, with small feet and obliging and obedient. And, and yes, you can say, okay, that happened two, three, 400 years ago, but then you kind of turn around and look at our society and say, no, it's still happening. We're yeah. using filters, you know, we're, we're, we're altering ourselves online in a million ways to fit an ideal of beauty. And we're still cutting away pieces of ourselves um, as women and young women. Um, you know, still trying to make ourselves likable and to fit in and to become socially acceptable. So yeah. I really wanted to dig into that question and really wanted to, you know, push at it and and hopefully give young readers a way to to, to push back at, at these pressures. It's it's insane. Yeah. No, it's it's true and it's really powerful. And that message in really in both of your books, I feel, or both of these two books in particular, is really powerful because we've got you know, both for, um, Isabel and, uh, is it Sophie, I believe in mm-hmm. Poison? Yep. Um, they are both girls who have had, you know, people in society projecting things onto them their whole life. They have been told you are this and you are wrong because of this. Yep. And you give them both just amazing character arcs um and to get to see them embrace who they are and you know decide you said I'm wrong because of these things but I'm going to take them and turn them into my greatest strengths like talk about empowering they're just really great messages uh especially for of course our young teen readers well, thank you for that. That's definitely what I set out to do. And I feel, I hope I'm pronouncing this name right. Cyrilda? Cyrilda, yes. Mm-hmm. Cyrilda, um, the main character in Gilded. I feel she's in that mold as well because she's so much her own person. And I'm going to choose my words carefully because I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> I don't want to do spoilers. But from you know, in the beginning of the book, we learned that she has these incredible sort of golden spoke eyes. And, you know, she's a storyteller and, and, Part of me wants to ask you, Marissa, like how much of you is in Cyrilda? Because I feel your storyteller self a bit in her. And she yeah. feels to me, um, you know, she gets in trouble for her stories slash lies, but she doesn't stop. And that's what I love about her. And she's she's almost a little, you know, she's almost got a little swagger to it as well. Even when she's coming up against this very, very dangerous opponent, she doesn't back down and she doesn't flinch. She feels a little scared inside, I think, but she she just keeps going, keeps storytelling. And I, I just love that. And I'm like, that's so cheeky. That's so wonderful and bold and rebellious. And, and is that you? I, I felt that was coming through. Like I'm the storyteller and this is what I do. And I, it's just, it's wonderful. Thank you. No, I had so much fun with her. I feel like she is one of those characters that is a mix of a little bit of me, but also a lot of what I would like to be more of. Um, Mm. I I don't see myself as like a particularly brave person. Um, I think if faced with the Earl King, I would run and hide. (laughs) I'm I'm not the girl that is like one to stand up to tyrannical, scary people. Um, But I, I admire people who can. Um, and so I feel like for really for a lot of my main characters, there's always something in them 
that I, I myself am striving for. Like, I wish I could be more like that. So maybe if I write this character, then uh, a piece of them will stay with me. That's, I love that. That's such a wonderful explanation of how you work and how you connect with your characters. That's really cool. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it, gosh, and I have never thought of this until right now in the midst of this conversation, you know, talking about how the idea of beauty, um, you know, affects us, especially as we're growing up. And so with Cyrilda, she, you know, there's all these superstitions in this small village that she lives in and she's very much become an outcast. You know, people don't trust her. Um, they think she's weird. They think she's cursed. And that kind of the way that she has learned to deal with that is to like be the the first person to say hello, to smile. If she's meeting a new person, like she wants people to like her before they start developing all of these, um, you know, fears and superstitions around her. And that really ended up becoming a huge part of who her character was. And as you were talking, I was thinking about too, when I was growing up, Um, and I always struggled with weight issues as I was, when I was a kid and was always one of the bigger girls in my class and always really self-conscious about it. Um, and similar to Cyrilda, like I kind of developed this defense mechanism of, but I'm going to be the cheerful one and I'm going to be always smiling and like make people be my friends because I was like worried (laughs) that people wouldn't like me for this ridiculous thing. They are not going to have any choice in the matter. They, they won't. You will likely yeah. not start it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I love about her too, though, is I, I, I definitely get all that you're saying, but I don't feel she deals herself away. I feel mm-hmm. that, you know, yes, she's up against, you know, these terrible superstitions and being judged unfairly, but she just has this core that's sort of unshakable, immovable. And I feel like this immense pride in, in being the storyteller and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I love her so much. I also love the way, you know, we're, we're moving into, you know, big fantasy territory here, but her life, you just show us the sort of prosaic, everyday, lovely life that she leads with the children in her village, you know, with her father, with the simple little dinners they have. And it's just, it's so beguiling. And it works, it worked upon me as a reader. I'm like, okay, I, I totally see this. I believe this. I'm going to follow this character anywhere. It was just a lovely sort of slow burn way into this character and her life, which I absolutely adore. Thank you. I, you know, as, as we're talking, I, one thing that I picked up on that you and I have both done with our characters is that if you look at the original fairy tales that we've based our stories off of, um, we've got, you know, the Miller's daughter from Rumpelstiltskin and uh, the wicked stepsister uh, from Cinderella and Snow White. And in all cases, these are three girls who are given relatively few options. And Mm -hmm. throughout their fairy tales, they just don't have a whole lot of agency or power over the the story that they are Mm -hmm. in. Um, And yet in all three cases, I feel that you and I both kind of turned that on its head and said, "Mm, I would really like to write a character that is making her own decisions and Mm -hmm. going on her own path. Absolutely. I definitely wanted that for my two characters, um, both in Stepsister and Poisoned. And it just, 
it came out of, again, all those childhood questions, like, who are you? Why were you sort of, you know, pushed to the side? And, and what's your story? And just really being puzzled and, and kind of, I guess, you know, as you, as you grow and start telling your own storytellers, wanting that, that equal time and that say, and, and to sort of tease out that character. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, let me just take over your podcast, Marissa, and ask you a million <laughs> questions. That's how I, that's my MO. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to know how you, what appealed about the Rumpelstiltskin fairy tale and how you dug into that and made that your own. Yeah. Um, so Rumpelstiltskin, it was one of those stories that I remember reading as a kid and it was one of my favorites, um, just cause I always kind of gravitated toward the ones that I thought were a little on the weird side. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it was also one of those stories that really frustrated me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there were questions left unanswered and I was just really dissatisfied with like some of these, what I interpreted to be like major plot holes in the story. Um, you know, this idea that she, the King has ordered her to spin straw into gold. And on the third night she succeeds and he marries her. And it's clear he's only marrying her because she has this skill and yet it never comes up again. (laughs) We're we're just supposed to expect that he just like, okay, I've got enough now. Um, so that always really bugged me. And then I could never like buy into this idea that this was a story that ended in happily ever after. Like, yes, mm-hmm. she's queen. Ultimately, she gets to keep the baby, but she's married to this guy that like threatened to kill her arbitrarily over and over again. Um, and like the one person who ever helped her turns out to be the villain. And yeah. I don't know. I was just like, so like things just do not add up for me in this story. Um, so it was one that I just think was in the back of my head, like tugging at my subconscious for, I mean, really decades by the time Mm -hmm. I finally sat down to write it. I think that's so funny. I think if you asked a lot of fairy tale retellers, um, you know, sort of what got you going, it's, it's a sense of, of really high irritation and being completely (laughs) annoyed by the tale and sort of having this impulsive need to set things right. Yes. For you, like for, for let's, I, I would love to know. Cause I feel like with stepsister, I feel that I feel that in the story of like the things that you were maybe not happy with and how mm-hmm. this character was treated. Um, but I'm really curious for Snow White, like what was the thing that maybe irked you that you wanted to set right? It was, it was a, a lot of things. I wanted to know, like, as I mentioned earlier, like, who was that voice? You know, what, what did he or she or it want from us? Um, and I, I, I think I've answered that question in the book. It's also, you know, this idea, even when I was five or six, I knew what a king was. I knew what a queen was. And I knew they had better things to do than look in the mirror all day. You know, sort of <laughs> You have a, a realm to rule. You have a million things to do. And it, it didn't ring true to me. So, you know, I wanted to to get to the bottom of that, too, and, and find out sort of like, who was this woman? Um, you know, was she what made her the way she was? And and then I got into sort of a bigger question as I was working on the book, like, you know, how do you how do you rule if you're a powerful woman ruler, you know, an Elizabeth Tudor, a Mary Queen of Scots? do you rule through kindness? Do you rule through cruelty? You know, how, how do you keep Mm -hmm. a realm together? How do you keep your enemies at bay? How do you keep internal strife from happening? 
And, you know, that that becomes a huge push pull in the book. The evil queen, Adelaide, is a cruel woman. And she the reasons for that. She's a hard woman. She's a violent woman. She's um, facing, you know, the 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 practical challenges of keeping a kingdom together as a woman ruler um, with enemies circling. And I, I based a lot of that on sort of again, being a student of Renaissance and, and medieval history in college and, and sort of studying the Tudors in depth, studying Mary de Guise, studying um, Mary Queen of Scots and realizing what they were up against and how mm-hmm. angry, you know, it made men that women were sitting on the throne and there were assassins within the kingdom. There were enemies from without the kingdom. So I was looking at sort of, you know, what does it take to hold on to power? Can you rule with violence only? Can you rule with kindness? And these two, these two women, Adelaide and Sophie, are very much at loggerheads over this exact question. Hmm. No, I. I mean, just for the record, I love how much history plays a role in your your stories and in your settings because they are fantasy, mm-hmm. and there's of course there's magic um, and they're fairy tales. But there's such a sense of time and place. And, um, you know, I know a lot of your books, you're you're drawing inspiration from like real world places, real world history. And it just makes it feel so lush and authentic. And even though we have the magic going on and we have these like really dark, horrible villains, it all feels like it could be happening. And I love that. Oh, good. I'm happy. (laughs) Let's talk about um, villains. I want to talk about villains because you've got some great ones and they are not always who you would expect them Mm -hmm. to be, which I think is brilliant. Um, So when you are, you know, you've decided to retell a story and you're kind of figuring out how, what are the mechanics? What's the story going to be out, be about who were the players? um, How are you approaching your villain characters? Gosh, that's a good question. It changes, you know, with every with every story, whether they're the fairy tale retellings or not. And I just, you know, I'm sure I share this with every other writer who's trying to write a villain is you just don't want the two dimensional cardboard cut out mm-hmm. mustache twirling person. You want to find <laughs> out how did they do They're petting their cat and yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, lots of jewels on their hands. You just want to find out because I, I truly believe that, you know, whether you call it a villain or an ugly stepsister, or the evil queen, or the bully, that that people, something happened to make a person that way. People aren't born that way. You don't come out, you know, wanting to rule the world and being horrible to people. What's your backstory? What happened to you? What made you this way? Um, Do you see who you are? Do you see what happened? Are you at all self-aware? And these are all the questions that are kind of spinning around in my head as I'm working on my villains. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if if you feel that way. I'm I'm sensing that you probably do because the Earl King is just wonderful. He is so scary. One and I'm like, wow, this guy, you know, he's he's really cool and he's handsome and he's got it all going on and he's like so stylish. And the next minute I'm like, oh my God, he really means business. And he's like <laughs> not a good guy. And it, but it's just, it's sort of this, um, I feel like you're you're getting your readers to go closer and closer and closer. And maybe that's not in their best interest. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very cool and it's very hard to do. And I think you've nailed it really well. I, I'd love to know too, how you sort of constructed him. That's funny. I love that image of the readers, like being drawn toward him and like, but maybe you should back up a little bit. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that's very much, I wanted 
You know, a lot of the Earl King really came from um, stuff that I was reading about the Wild Hunt. Um, and, and the Earl King is, is based on, you know, a folktale character, um, that I didn't really know much about until I was researching for this book and then kind of stumbled across this kind of boogeyman type character, um, that was said to like prowl the forest and naughty children. If you wandered off into the forest, you were going to be captured by the Earl King and he would, I don't know, eat out your heart or whatever horrible things he did. Right. Um, and at the same time, there were some stories that said that he was the leader of the wild hunt. And so these things just kind of started to merge. And I'm fascinated by the mythology surrounding the wild hunt and this idea that sometimes people are just kind of swept up in the hunt and go along for the ride, even though it seems absolutely terrifying. And so I knew that I wanted to create this villain character that was going to be, you know, almost a, almost have this magical allure to him. Um, I wanted people to feel really drawn in and fascinated by him and curious about him. um, And that he has this way of, you know, he's not using magic, generally speaking, but he has this almost magic-like ability to captivate people and mm-hmm. make them want to be near him. And I just really liked that idea. And so he he kind of turned into this very suave, very attractive, yet very evil mm-hmm. being um, and turned out to be just like super fun to write because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's not fun about that? <laughs> Yeah, he is super cool. And you don't realize until you're standing right up next to him that you shouldn't be there. It's yes, really, yes. Really well no. done. But I yeah. think I also like the um the I love the moss maidens too. And they're, you know, they're not in the in the same group as the Earl King at all, but they're um they're also, you know, they're these creatures of the woods that they're very beautiful. And, and sometimes I feel like they're just delicate and lovely. And other times I feel like, no, they're there's these sort of um I don't know that you don't want to get too close to them entirely either. I'm not far enough to know too much about them and the group they come from yet, but you you know, they're not, she does them quite a nice favor and they're kind of like, Oh yeah. You know, they don't, they don't sort of, they're not warm and fuzzy and gushy. They're a little bit dangerous too, a little bit ambiguous. And I really Mm -hmm. like that. I like that a lot. Um, I was trying to channel a bit of that with my fairy queen character and stepsister Tonaquil. She's a creature from the woods too. And she's, you know, she's, she's filled with light, but also she's filled with darkness and she's a huntress. And when the main character meets her, she's holding a struggling rabbit in her hand that she's about to eat. And, And that's the reality of nature and the dark of nature and the, the danger of the woods. And I really like the way you evoke that, not only in the Earl King, but in other creatures that you have peppered out through the story. Yes, no, and I love Tana Quill. Um, I think she is so fascinating. And I love that she is one of those characters that walks this line between good and bad. Like you don't really know where she falls half yes, the time. Exactly. Um, which is, you know, very believable. Um, obviously not people just in general are not all good or all bad, but it keeps the reader guessing and you just want to know more about her. Um, and, and I feel like you play with that a little bit too. I mean, in so many of your books, you have like a giant spider that is (laughs) actually a good guy or like, you know, there, you take things that, um, are typically associated with 
villains and darkness and wickedness and flip that around. And I love how you do that. It kind of makes you stop and think about it and like, but why are snakes always bad? You know? and, and spiders and vultures when they're, yeah. you know, absolutely fascinating, incredible creatures who serve amazing ecological purposes and, you know, have a right to be themselves. And I mean, I was reading a story recently on, in a science magazine about spiders and how we don't even understand how they do what they do and how incredibly strong the silk they spin is and, mm. you know, what architects they are to make the webs they do. And, you know, these tiny little quiet, silent creatures are just so underestimated. And I just love things. I love spiders. I love bats. I love vultures. <laughs> it's like all these poor little misunderstood dudes that I, I kind of want to rehabilitate a bit. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I do. I love bats. Um, historically speaking, I have been anti-spider, um, <laughs> but I, since having kids and like, they, they, like we talked about earlier, they're paying attention. So it's like, if mommy screams and smashes right. the shoe, I know that I'm sending a signal. Spiders are bad and scary. And so I have really made an effort to try to become that person that oh gets it on a piece of paper and scooches it outside, right, which outside, is like right. it's going it its against home. every instinct that I have, <laughs> but I've attempted to be more of that person. <laughs> oh, that's that's adorable. And 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 parenting makes you, I think, a bigger, better, better hearted person. <laughs> it does. Things that you wouldn't think about now all of a sudden are like, oh, I should probably pay more attention to the messages that I'm sending. Yes, very much so. Um, I So kind of on the same level of the villains in our books, um, we also both have played with, uh, in my book, we call them gods. In your books, um, you, you have made characters of death. You have made a character of love, of, of fear, of pain, and they're, you know, kind of godlike in that they are these beings that like to meddle in yes, human affairs and are sometimes good, but not always. Why, why do you think that we as writers are fascinated or love to incorporate, you know, these, these ideas of like fate and these more powerful beings kind of wanting to to play a role in the story. I think it's just, you know, it's, it's, you just want answers to the big questions, sort of what motivates us and what's driving us and what's out there. And, you know, is there a hand at work here? Is everything just random? Has someone mapped it all out? It's, it's all those questions that have, you know, challenged, fascinated, plagued humans since the dawn of time. And I think it's also why these fairy tales endure because, um, you know, before there were psychotherapists or psychologists or, or Prozac or any of this stuff, all we had were storytellers to, you know, to help us even before organized religion to try to make sense of this incredibly complex and confusing and often frightening world. And I really do feel that storytellers were our first therapists, um, you know, mm. for, uh, for human beings. And I think we're still, we still fill that role to some degree. And, you know, these, these, just these archetypal things that drive our lives, love, death, pain, fear. I like to sort of bring them out of the ether and, and the atmosphere and, and, and the ambiguity and, and sort of give them human bodies and human faces and human motivations and, and have sort of set them loose among us and see what they do. And um, in Lost in a Book, the 
when I was thinking about Beauty and the Beast and sort of how to put my own stamp on it, I was thinking, what what is the central struggle here? Is it life and death, life and death? And I thought, no, it's really death versus love. And mm. and that is the one thing that, you know, can can save the beast and that can that overcomes death in the end. Yes, we all know we're going to die, life ends, and yet love lives on. You remember those who loved you. You hope to become a memory to the ones, you know, that you're going to love, your own children. Um, a good memory. So it's it's just trying to, you know, grapple as human beings have done for for millennia with those huge um unknowable questions, I guess, to get really, really heavy on you. Yeah. No, but I, I love I've never really thought of the idea of storytellers as therapists, you know, before there mm-hmm. were therapists and even filling that role to some degree now. Um, and certainly not to like like put myself or, you know, the writers in my life on the same level as, you know, professionals. Um, But how often do we hear from readers who, you know, will will show up at a signing or send you a letter or an email and say, you know, I was having just going through a really difficult time and this book was exactly what I needed to help me get through it. Um, And I don't know about you, but I get messages like that all the time. And it really does shine a light on, you know, just how important storytelling is and how it really does affect people on a deep emotional and psychological level. I, I could not agree more with you. I, 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 yeah, I just second that. And I, I get those same messages and, you know, it makes me think, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that for somebody, but how often has someone done that for me? You yeah, know, and it's just, it's just it's this constant circle and this give and take. And I just I was a kid who craved stories. You know, I'm I'm um, an adult now who finds great solace in stories. Um, you know, when I'm really hurting or down in the dumps, it's always a, a novel I reach for, or it's always a volume of poetry, and that's the thing that sets me back on my feet. Um, I don't, you know, t- to me, it is therapy. I've been to to therapy too. And that's, that's been helpful to me at times in my life, but it's, um, it's books, it's stories, it's novels that I don't know, that really get inside me and, and, and speak to my heart and kind of solace, whatever it is that's, that's really hurting me. And, and it sets me right again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, kind of to tie it back into fairy tales. Um, I took a fairy tale literature class in college, and that was like one of the major themes that the professor talked about over and over again was this idea that people gravitate towards stories that are filling something or Mm -hmm. teaching them something, or, you know, that there is something in that story that we need at that point in our life. Um, and if you think of like little kids, how they so often will gravitate toward the same story and they want the same book read to them over and over and over and over. And as an adult, you're like, oh my gosh, can we please choose something different? But clearly there is something in that story that they are, they are getting something from that. Um, Absolutely. I mean, these stories allow us to sort of have our deepest needs and fears expressed and lived through by these characters and, and resolved, um, you know, the, the need to, to be loved and to hopefully find love in your life and, and the fear, you know, what's out there, what's in the world, what's in the dark and, and to have these things sort of lived through by, by another creature, another human being, I think is just so reassuring. Yes, no, definitely. 
Um, so Jennifer, we are going to start wrapping up and moving on to our bonus round. Um, I have one last question for you, which is, do you have any other fairy tales that you would just love to retell or reimagine at some point? Yes. And as a matter of fact, I'm working on one right now. It's kind of too early to talk about it. I I feel like until I know this thing is actually going to live and breathe and be something, I can't talk about it. But yes, it's underway. Um, Early signs are looking good. And um, I'm just loving being in this world again. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait. I look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you. Any last questions on your end that you really hoped we'd get to before we move on? Well, I would just love to know how you develop um, the eeriness in your book. It, it was it was one big question I had for you. Um, it is just, it's so well done. It's sneaking up on you before you know. And again, you have this feeling like I've gone too far. I'm in trouble. I've gone way too far into the dark woods, down the path. I shouldn't have done it. But it's just like this, it's this beautiful eeriness that you've constructed, Marissa. And I want to know, did it just happen or did you sort of really have to work at that, struggle with it? It's very well done. Thank you. Um, I would say that a lot of effort went into it. I mean, I was helped out just by the nature of this story. You know, we've got an enchanted forest. We've got a haunted castle, um, you know, lots of monsters and different kind of mythological beasts play a role. And so all of that lends itself to kind of a creepy setting. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, as I was writing and probably more really as I was revising it, Um, I spent a lot of time just trying to, uh, think of my word choice, um, and choose words that kind of had this melancholy, um, quietness to them. Um, and yeah, just a lot of time thinking about what are the, the senses that I'm evoking from scene to scene, um, Yeah. Beyond that, I did have a playlist. Actually, the readers, I put on Instagram early on in the writing process that was like, I need creepier songs and (laughs) got like a ton of marvelous suggestions and made a really great playlist from that that I would just listen to all the time. And it was all so haunting and kind of romantic, but also, you know, really dark and sad. And yeah, that just really helped kind of keep me in that world. That's really interesting. And as you were speaking, one one of the things you said really stuck out at me, and that was the word melancholy. I've never really thought of that as a part of eeriness, but I, you know, I'm like, wow, yeah, that's right. That is a big part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Very cool. Thank you. No, and that's, I mean, it was so much fun. Um, I'd say this is one of my darker, creepier books. And Mm -hmm. as a reader, I love things that are kind of dark and creepy and give you the shivers. And so it was, I really, really enjoyed it for this book for sure. Well, well done. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for our bonus round? Sure. All right. Tea or coffee? Oh, tea all day long. Plotter or pantser? Total plotter, total neurotic, crazy plotter. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Music or silence? Depends on where I am in the writing process. There are times when I can't stand to have a noise around me. And there are times when I just really need to, you know, turn the volume way up. It's, it's, it's hard to to exactly say when it's just all about a mood, I guess. Mm -hmm. Writing in the morning or at night? 
kind of all day long as I get the chance. Um, I think I'm fresher and better in the morning, but I, I push myself to keep going into the afternoon and the evening. Yeah. I, I also feel like I'm better in the morning, but with my schedule, I've kind of turned into this weird, like evening writer, which I never used to be. And I'm like, well, you gotta make it work. Exactly. Whatever you can find the time. Yeah. How do you celebrate an accomplishment? Oh gosh. It usually involves chocolate. I like, I liked, I liked your me day that you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. And I was like, wow, can I come? That sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> so looking but, forward to it. <laughs> then it wouldn't be a me day. Unfortunately, it would be a, me a new day for you, but it sounds like such a great time. I also sometimes love to buy myself a little piece of jewelry. I'm not talking like mm. Cartier or anything, but just something that's going to last that I can keep that I can look at and remember. Yeah. Yeah. That was how I celebrated the end of a book. Hmm. Do you have any writing rituals? Hmm. I think I always have to have a little, I have to have a hot drink. Um, usually it has caffeine in it and maybe just a little piece of chocolate. It kind of lures me to my desk and my computer and gets me going. I, I sort of need that little enticement in the morning. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I know I've talked before about how if I'm not feeling like writing, I'll kind of try to like romance myself and like pretend like I'm taking my book out on a date and like, we're going to have some wine or some chocolate or light a nice candle and like something just to like get yourself there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Some days you do what it takes. Yeah. What book makes you happy? Oh my gosh. Um, that's a good question. It's usually... Oh, it's, I wouldn't, I'm sort of not looking into the past, but I'm looking into the present and I'm seeing myself at my local independent bookstore, Merit Books here in Millbrook, New York, which I absolutely adore. It's it's just my happy place and sort of going in and looking on the new fiction table and picking up a book. And suddenly that voice just speaks to me and it's there. And, and I'm following that author anywhere because I'm just so entranced and beguiled. And this is my new best friend. So I think that's the book that makes me happy. The, the book that I discovered that I never imagined was there waiting for me in my local bookshop. I love that answer. Lastly, where can people find you? They can find me on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter at Jen Wright's Books or at jenniferdonnelly.com. Awesome. Jennifer, this was such a joy. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. Anytime. I just love chatting with you. Readers, if you are in the mood for dark fairy tales, I very much hope that you will check out Jennifer's amazing books, Stepsister and Poisoned, two of my favorites. Of course, I also hope that you will check out Gilded. We always encourage you to support your local indie bookstore. If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org shop slash Marissa Meyer. Next week, I will be talking to Tiff Marcello about her holiday-themed contemporary romance, the holiday switch. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer author and at happy writer podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.